Welcome to the Young Crones Cafe, where you can get a magic brew full of all sorts of information, both witchy and practical. Grab a cup of coffee and join us. I'm Elizabeth, a wordsmith. And I'm Dave, a modern-day sage. We are going to talk about various witchcraft and life topics from a slightly more mature perspective, at least most of the time. Thanks for joining us. On the path, which is the name for our personal witchcraft practices, we have spent a great deal of time discussing what we believe and why. These conversations led to the writing of a book full of information about our tradition. We call these beliefs metaphysical kernels of thought because they are the start of much, much bigger ideas. We thought we would share some of these with you. So, today's metaphysical kernel of thought is faith. Faith in the validity of ritual effectiveness of using magic is needed in order for magic to work and change to happen for a practitioner. It also requires what the past has come to call the active suspension of disbelief. Disbelief in magic starts for most of us as children. We are told that magic isn't real, that we need to grow up and focus on the mundane world of school, work, and become mature, responsible, and productive adults. Our natural interactions with the magic around us is forgotten or dismissed as childish or unrealistic. However, being able to enter a transcendent state during the working portion of a ritual is vital because this state is where personal change begins to occur. It is the height of ritual experience and makes it possible for us to truly understand the mysteries and joy of magic. The knowledge we gain at the beginning of our practice about what to do in ritual or how to cast spells can create what we term intellectual belief. Intellectual belief is based on knowledge without experience or practice. In other words, you may have figured out what to do for performing ritual or generating a spell, but you haven't actually done anything about it yet. At some point, you reach maximum information before you have to actually do something to progress further along your path. You perform a small ritual or a simple spell and experience success. Your spell works or you feel something unexplained during ritual. This begins to increase your faith in the efficacy of magic and that ritual experience is going to be something positive in your life. The repetition of these experiences increases your belief in the process and the experience itself. In other words, you cast a small spell and it works. Your intellectual belief becomes that more intuitive faith in your magical abilities, which increase and you grow willing to try a more complicated spell. Your faith continues to grow with repetition of experiences, whether they work out as you planned or with the experience of the totally unexpected results. Faith, therefore, is active suspension of disbelief through doing and not just thinking. It is created by practice, the actual doing of witchcraft in all its many forms. It is that growth from intellectual belief to knowing deep within your soul that you are creating spiritual changes in your own life. I mean, faith, I think, gets a bad rap sometimes because it's associated with the monotheistic religions. If you have faith in God, all will be wonderful kind of thing. I've got to tell you, coming from the background that I came from or the experience base, I guess I should say, the the moment that I saw that today's discussion was going to be on faith, to me, when I hear that word, the, the connotation and the baggage and the stuff behind it immediately sort of makes me a little bit uncomfortable. So I'm, I'm glad we're having a chance to talk about what faith really means in relation to the path. I think so. 
to us, it's that active dis- suspension, for want of a better word, like putting it aside, that disbelief that we generate in magic just because of the society we live in. I mean, when you're a little kid, everything's magic. And you're connected sure. to that. And just growing up, you go to school and you start learning about science, which in itself can be magic, but we don't get taught it that way. Or your parents say you got to grow up and focus on being that responsible and productive adult you're supposed to grow into be. So all of that stuff gets shoved to the side and we create that disbelief for ourselves. I mean, if you look up at the meaning of disbelief, it's a mental rejection of something as not being real or true, which is a right. So we literally have to create or recreate, I guess, or rediscover that belief in magic that's down in there somewhere. That. That just resonates so much with uh, with a conversation I was having having with somebody um, yesterday. In fact, um, I believe that we are most perfect when we are newborn. Um, I believe we are born with an amazing set of skills, and that throughout the course of our childhood, especially being raised in a Western or worse yet, American cultures, we are consistently and systematically taught what is not real when we know better. Yeah. You know, when you when you say to your five-year-old who just said, I saw a ghost, when you say ghosts aren't real and you must have seen something else or it must be something wrong with your sensory ability, that child knows better. You can see it in their eyes. And I can remember being a child and saying, you know, in my head, no, don't tell me I didn't see that because I know that I did. Exactly. So the whole idea of recreating those abilities or those perceptions that we have just sort of closed doors and been taught to be suppressive with. I, I like the idea that, that you brought up of reinventing some of that suspension of disbelief as it, as, as it applies to moving forward and learning a new path or a new tradition. And I think when we first find witchcraft, the whole idea of it, it, it sort of sparks something for those of us who follow this kind of path. And it seems to me when I talk to people, their first experience is they read everything they can get their hands on about it. Because we're that kind of person. We just are attracted to information. And you reach that point of information overload. You've read 87 different ways to do a ritual. You have read all sorts of spells or how to write spells, how to do spells. And you have to actually say, okay, it's fish or cup bait. I have to do something, which I think is why you call it the practice of witchcraft. Absolutely. I agree with that. It's a doing. And you light a candle for have a little ritual. Now, maybe nothing happens, and that's often the case, but you feel better because you did something. Or Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to interject here. My suspension of disbelief tells me that something did happen. It's just a matter of whether or not you were able to notice the effect that your working had. Exactly. That's what. That's more. That's a better way to put it. But you do things, and you you do a little a little simple spell, 
and it works for whatever reason. You may not know why, but it, it, something happened and you notice it for want of a better word. You start paying attention and you go to ritual and you have you, something unexpected happens to your feelings or your thought process or whatever. So you are willing to try it again. And that in, in essence is stepping out in faith. You may not know what's going on, but something cool is happening. And it resonates with you. So you do more stuff. And that little bit of faith grows. And all of a sudden, things are magical. They all remember, but you've got it back. You just took me right back to one of the first pagan experience memories um, that I can remember. I was at a drum circle, just a bunch of people sitting around a a campfire and uh, various states of inebriation and various states of quality rhythm. But you get this nice tribal thing going. And I was just there as a visitor. And uh, the, the person that had brought me there said, just take a few minutes and walk around the outside of the circle and don't talk to anybody don't engage with anybody just walk around and feel the energy as they were playing Mm -hmm. and probably after the second or third time around the circle and it was pretty good size there's probably 30 or 40 people there i can remember feeling i don't know what this is i don't know what's going on over there but by god something is definitely going on over there. And that was the moment that I realized what I don't know. And it got me that moment of being hungry again to learn, okay, what things can I see now that I'm ready to not follow the limitations that my culture has put on me. Now at this point, I I have new eyes, new ears. What do I see going on over there by the fire? And I can stand outside that circle and look at that and marvel at that all I want. But then the do moment is when I step within that circle and I engage with that energy and I could physically feel the hairs on my my arms stand up and whatnot. And so there was enough sensory data coming in for me to be able to say, yeah, I don't know what this is, but by God, I'm standing in something. And yeah. that was that was one of the earliest ritual memories that I that I have, and I just wanted to share that. Oh yeah, that that's it exactly. Things happen in ritual that we can't explain, and that that disbelief gets butted up against. Something's happening, and it doesn't match all the quote unquote reality stuff that I know. Sure, sure, absolutely. I mean, I I stood there as a pretty much as an agnostic, secular physicist, science student saying, man, I don't know what this is, but I can't say that there's nothing happening. Yeah, exactly. Your 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 actual experience does not match all of that intellectual stuff. Right, right. And then as soon as I stepped in and engaged with it, I, I love the way you reminded me that that, in fact, is the root of practice is taking that step forward. Yeah, and doing um, I was describing to somebody here a few days ago, and and it may have even been you, um, but during this process of um, adjusting to life with Susie over my shoulder instead of in my hand, um, during this process, there have been some points 
during my grieving where I have had a problem come up and I just keep putting my foot forward and like one of the movies does with special effects, I forget which, but the tiles were literally appearing under my feet. And what I found was I was learning again to have a daily practice of taking my foot and setting it out there where there is no tile and believing that it will be there to support me. And when I had that thought and that experience, I also had three or four days right in a row where things just fell into place. Solutions just sort of popped up from nowhere. And I kept putting my foot out over that thin air and there was solid ground every time. And I had, like I say, a stretch of three or four days where I felt magical. I guess that's the only the only way that I can express that um, in language is I was so not in my intellect. I was so in my energy. Does that I, make sense? Yeah, it does, actually, because it, it, it all comes back to we have to turn that rational brain off sometimes because that rational brain will come up with all the reasons we can't fix it. We shouldn't do it. I mean, that's what our rational brain is supposed to do. It's yeah, my, my, my monkey pattern matching problem-solving evolutionary miracle is at present in my way. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's part of what the doing of ritual, the, the casting a spell, is designed to do in its own way. It's to remind us that there are things we don't have the answers to that work. If you sure. can say, yes, I'm going to accept that this is also reality, that magic is real, that if I light this candle and I say whatever it is I need to say and know that I can change things, something will happen. The change may not match what I think is going to happen, because that's a big part of witchcraft is we end up with some very unexpected results sometimes. In which we start <laughs> out thinking we're going from A to C and we're at Q. You know, it's equally valid. One of the things that I never expected before I worked in a metaphysical store, and now I find so adorable because I work in a metaphysical store, is probably one in 10 people will come in and say, so I lit this candle and I did this and, oh, my God, what have I done? What is going on? Because now this has happened and this has happened and this has happened. And people are intellectually freaking out over something that they have done magically. And I remind them that when you're in that magical state, you can't do things wrong. It's just, it doesn't work that way. The energy doesn't happen that way. It's just your monkey brain telling you all the things that you could be worrying about right now. But instead of worrying about them, you're taking a deep breath and just knowing that, whatever it was that needs to happen from your energy is already happening. Exactly. That to me is sort of the essence of magic. That And that in itself is, is that active suspension of disbelief or faith, that it's going to be okay. I think that's the big piece of magical faith is just knowing that the universe is going to catch you when you step out and the tile you don't see. And right. having that belief the tile shows up because that's what the universe's job is, is to catch us crazy people who have decided, okay, yes, there's that physics magic of the universe around us, 
But we know there's a whole, all these other layers. And we're going to play. Well, and I, well, and I just realized that I, um, and, and I'm sure a lot of people, but I probably spent at least the first half of my life reaching out with a toe and tapping and trying to feel for that tile. And that was the problem as I was trying to see if the tile was there instead of knowing that the tile was there. And I, um, and I, I think that's just a matter of age and experience, but it also causes me now. That's why I said I was excited to do today's talk. I'm actually going to go forward in my day with sort of a different definition of the word faith um, because we have had a chance to kind of redefine it while we're talking. I think so. And I think the other piece is, as you said, it is not always age, it's experience. Once, sure. once we experience that magic really is there, then that disbelief kind of gets shattered. And our faith gets larger the more we experience and do, which is why I, I focus so much on the word practice. Because practice means I'm learning how to do something to me. Well, and doing, absolutely. And, and, and and with practice, you get better. It's like learning how to play the piano. You have piano practice every day or anything like that, or dance practice or drawing practice or whatever. Typing. Guitar or drums. Keyboarding, for God's sakes. Anything that you do, the repetition and the use, you start stop worrying about the mechanics so much because your hands know. You have muscle memory involved. And it's the same thing with ritual. If you've done it enough, you know the mechanics. I'm going to open it you, with a blessing, or I'm going to light the candles this way, or I'm going to create sacred space this way. And you stop focusing on the mechanics and the words and get into the why I'm doing this and the meaning of it for me. And that's a big part of faith, too, I think. Sure, sure. Yeah. And you just you just struck on something there with the muscle memory. I'm I'm thinking back to, to sort of the reading on faith and separating the intellectual or my I call him my evolutionary problem solving pattern matching monkey. I have plenty of muscle memory in how to sit and intellectually think and analyze and study and try to understand. That's all part of my training as being a science-related person. Ritual, even if it's a 30 seconds every morning when I put my necklace on and I think about Susie, when I do that every single day, and yes, we miss you very much, honey. Mm -hmm. When I do that every single day, what I am doing is I am creating muscle memory for my soul. My spirit is developing new patterns and habits. And there will be days when I'll wake up and not think of it or not necessarily want to do it, but I will do it anyway. And that's when I'm building faith. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So faith, faith is spiritual muscle memory. In essence, yes. I like I love that. it. I do too. And that, and that looks like a good point to stop that discussion. I feel really good about where we're at today. I do too. I'm going to carry the day forward having a renewed definition, or I guess I should say connotation for the word faith. Yeah. It doesn't have to be weighed down with all that old baggage. 
Yeah, I like that. I think that's another part of witchcraft. We have the freedom to make meaning better sometimes. Well, for me, intellectually studying some of the pagan traditions put all of the cracks in the mirror. And with my practice, I'm picking the little pieces of mirror off the window and actually seeing the world behind through those little gaps. I like it. There's my metaphor for the day. I like it a lot. Witch stones are a divination tool we created as part of our practice that deals with what we call concrete stones, specific types and times of energy, and conceptual stones, things and ideas about witchcraft, which can be read with either a seen or an unseen meaning. Recently, we have developed a set of oracle cards using this information. We would like to introduce you to one of these stones right now. In today's Witch Stone Spotlight, we'll be looking at the stone card for Loaf Mass. Concrete stones focus on a specific physical energy rather than on a concept. And the last four concrete stones link the four cross-quarter times together, which are used in the practice of our craft on the path. We work with them as a seasonal time or period of our year that runs from cross-quarter day through a sabbat to the following cross-quarter day. And this period of time is associated with a stronger awareness of one of the four physical elements. The third cross-quarter time is loaf mass beginning in early August, and this Witchstone Oracle card displays a pictograph of red loaf of bread surrounded by two red sheaves of grain. The border being the same color all the way around tells us that this is a concrete stone, and the border being gray tells us that this card represents one of the cross-quarter times. During the times of loaf mass, the element of air is the most prominent. The dark energy is growing. This is the time when we become aware that it is starting to gather. Lofmas's magical associations include blessings and the labor to use them, harvesting physical projects and sorting, abundance and change, and gratitude for things completed or received. Blessings require that we step up and not only acknowledge them, but also put in the labor necessary to get the most benefit from them. Lofmas magical associations focus on the element of air. Lofmas is associated with the direction of east. In our season cycle, Lofmas is summer. In the life cycle, this period is the period of life. In the moon cycle, we associate Lofmas with the full moon phase. And in our day cycle, we see the noon or midday sun feeding with all of its blessed energy. The seen energy for the Lofmas stone card in a reading is time of harvest, using your blessings and gratitude. Time of harvest may mean gathering up and finishing projects, Using your blessings may call you to work to value what you have been given, to use them wisely, and to not waste them. Gratitude is an attitude of being aware of what you truly have, and its great value, because living with this attitude creates positive energy for yourself and for those around you. The unseen 
energy for the loafmas stone in a reading is time of harvest, inertia, and need to be grateful. Time of harvest may involve looking at our unfinished projects and discarding those we know we won't be completing. Inertia is a state of not moving or changing, and this may mean you need to get up and finish some type of project at this time. Another word for it is stagnation. And the need to be grateful may ask you to take stock of what you already have and learn better how to appreciate it in your life. Before we go, we would like to present you with a tip or trick or witchy hint. Just something to make your day go better, because we live in a mixture of the magical and the mundane. Today's witchy hint can best be called counterclockwise, clockwise, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. After all, there are all sorts of ways to raise energy as part of ritual and for spell work, including basic movement, chanting, clapping, dancing, drumming. In fact, there are endless possibilities. Many people, when they first enter the craft, are taught that the only correct way to raise energy when moving around in a circle is to travel in a clockwise direction. Somehow, many people have come, therefore, to associate counterclockwise movement with something negative. Actually, there is nothing wrong with moving in either direction. Insert gasps of horror, sounds of bodies hitting the floor in a dead faint, etc. here. Here's an interesting fact for you. When the Earth rotates every 24 hours, creating our cycles of day and night, it actually moves in a west-to-east direction, what we commonly call counterclockwise if you are watching from the top of the planet. Clockwise movement came into existence with the movement of a shadow across a sundial, which has nothing to do with the movement of the planet itself at all. Something to think about. Maybe we've been doing it backwards all along, or maybe it really doesn't make a difference which way you walk around that circle. So why not try experimenting with moving in both directions to see what works best for you? Maybe you could think about the purpose of your magic and whether you're using projective or receptive energy in your spell, or whether you are trying to draw something to you or put a desire out into the universe when considering which way to move. We have found that when we are gathering projective energy, moving clockwise works best, and when we are gathering receptive energy, moving counterclockwise is actually better for that purpose. Who knows why, but it seems to work out okay. Another small fact, some people refer to clockwise movement as jeshul and counterclockwise as widdershins. So if you hear those words, you now have something of a definition. I think they might have use the Celtic at some point, if that's what I think it's about. However, I just like saying Wittershins for counterclockwise at times. In any event, try moving in different directions to create the energy that you want. The universe will not fall apart if you go counterclockwise around a circle. Well, it looks like the coffee cups are empty for this week. We hope you join us again next Tuesday. But you can find us at our website, twoyoungcrones.com. That's the number two, Young Crones. You can also find us on social media, such as Facebook and Twitter. Until then, then, remember, remember, we are witches who work with energies to affect change. 
we are believers in both imminent and transcendent divine. We are celebrants of the passage of the solar and lunar cycles. We are hedge walkers who pass back and forth between the worlds of the magical and the mundane. We are seekers of knowledge. We are walkers of a spiritual tradition we call the path. So, so it be. be.